Hey, this is Tyler McGee with Reaching International and Frampton Insurance Agency. If you want to create a profitable, scalable, and impactful kingdom business, you should be listening to the Eternal Entrepreneur Podcast with my good friends, Joe Newton and Pierce Brantley. The Eternal Entrepreneur gives you the stories and strategies to gain freedom as a Christian business leader. You'll hear from real entrepreneurs who have learned how to partner with God, from making millions to filing bankruptcy. These are honest stories to help you hear God's voice and build a lasting legacy through business. Hello and welcome back. Thank you for joining us for episode four of the Eternal Entrepreneur Podcast. I am Pierce Brantley, along with my co-host, Joe Newton, and we cannot be more excited to share with you our conversation today with Tyler McGee. Tyler was a pastor for over eight years before founding Reaching International, where he oversees numerous business initiatives and capital investments. In his spare time, he's also a successful business development consultant and partners with an insurance agency that he is helping scale nationally. Now, before we jump into the interview today, we wanted to ask if you'd help us out by leaving us a five-star review and sharing this podcast with a friend. Also, if you'd like to stay in touch and get a free copy of the first chapter of my book, Calling, How to Partner with God in Any Business with Any Boss at Any Place in Life, then click in the link in the show notes to sign up for our weekly email or visit piercebrantley.co slash podcast. Now, on to the interview. Tyler McGee, thank you for being on the podcast with us today. Absolute pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Man, it's such an honor. I'm a big fan of yours, so I'm excited that uh, one of our first episodes is with you. You've and uh, well, I guess you and your dad, your whole family, had a pretty big impact on myself. So hopefully we can share that with some other people. Well, I consider it an honor, and it's cool. We met through the powers that be. <laughs> you know, it was kind of divine connection, which you know we can get into some of that, but it's good to know you, and I'm excited to see what comes out of our conversation. Yeah. So. Tell me, uh, give us a little context. We'll put everything just like the Bible, keep it in context. So that's, I, that's harder to do. That's harder to do. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes. So we know we just heard in the intro, you know, you've got done multiple businesses. Uh, you're in the insurance industry now, consultant. But give us a little past. Take us to elementary school, middle school. A little past. Tyler. 30 yeah. years of Yeah, 30 history. years. Okay. Yeah. Just, just give, give us a little context. Sure. What, what were you doing then? Did you know you were going to be entrepreneur, pastor? Like, where were you at there? Yeah, so I grew up in Nashville, Tennessee, or just outside of Nashville, a suburb, uh, Hendersonville, Tennessee. A lot of country music people out there. So my dad had actually moved to Tennessee because of the music industry uh, from he, he graduated high school early, and right out of high school, he began to tour, play piano, sing. He married my mom. They then moved to Arkansas, which was where I was born in 1989, if anyone wants to date me, <laughs> uh, 30, turned 31 this year. So they were there for about, they were there for a few years, but my dad had a scuba diving accident the year before I was born. There's a lot of story there, but he basically was on vacation and was in Panama City Beach, Florida, scuba diving. Something went really sideways and he felt really weird. So he, he went up with his dive partner and they got to the top. He was blacking in and out. He couldn't get his fins off. He was just completely non-coherent and kind of in and out of consciousness. They, they rushed him back. He ended up paralyzed from the chest down. A lot of 
details there that it's it's a great story in and of itself if you know you could have him on and talk about it but Definitely. that was when they lived in Arkansas which all their family is in Texas and they've been married for 4 years so that's that's a kind of curveball to life and i think part of the really antithesis of how i think about life comes from his experience because basically after they they took him to the hospital he wakes up and he's uh, they've been trying to put him in like a, basically an oxygen chamber to, to they're like, Hey, don't worry your whole body, your nervous system is swollen, but we'll get the swelling down. Everything will go back to normal. All the paralysis will subside, et cetera. And it didn't. So after being in the hospital for like six weeks, nothing changing, he was like ticked, like, God, what's up? Like I do everything I'm supposed to do. Right. You know, you've given us this way to live life. That's how I'm living life. I'm honoring you. I'm serving you, but you're not upholding your end of the bargain. You know, it says calling the elders of the church, have them pray for you and you'll be healed done it, not healed. So he's like in this real wrestle moment with God where everything, he was full of faith until that point. And basically God came to him and said, listen, everything you're worried about right now, if you'll ever walk again, if you'll ever play piano again, if you'll ever songwrite, they said he wouldn't sing because his diaphragm was being paralyzed. If you'll have kids again, they said he wouldn't do any of those things. So like everything you need to accomplish my purpose for your life, I'll make sure you have. End of story, right? Yeah. If, if you need to walk again, I'll make sure you walk. If you need to have kids, I'll make sure you have kids. If you need to be able to play, I'll make sure you play. So it was like this thing where nothing happened physically, nothing changed physically in the moment, but his perspective eternally changed. And so I kind of grew up with that mindset. You know, I grew up, like I said, in, in Nashville, Tennessee or outside of Nashville, Tennessee, which is a beautiful place, really cool, very quaint, Southern, I had a really great upbringing. And, but I, I watched as I turned 13, I kind of became aware of things that were just normal for me, but I realized they weren't as normal, right? So my dad still has limited mobility physically. So he can't physically run. He can't do certain things, but he never let the small percentage of life that he couldn't live override what he could. So I kind of have this mindset myself of don't let certain things limit you from doing what you actually can do because I feel like a lot of people do live that way. And then I, you know, watched my dad as a four or five-year-old push mow the yard. And for me, that was just dad just pushed me on the yard. It's the only dad I have. Yeah. He walks a little bit different than everybody else, but this is just normal life. And then I, you know, fast forward 10, 15, 20 years. And the things I see people complain about are things I see people not do because they can't. And I just, I don't really have a lot of patience for that. I don't have a lot of grace. I actually have to ask the Lord to <laughs> deal with me sometimes about it because I'm just like, man, I've watched my dad overcome constant pain, which I didn't even know he's in constant pain until I was probably like 14, 15 years old just nerve pain, that phantom pain that yeah. I didn't even understand, have a context for. But I just watched him live life that way. So that really, going back to young kid, it really formed a lot of who I was without realizing it. So as a 30-year-old, I can look back and I can see, man, this is why I think this way. This is why I react this way. I can kind of connect the dots. And I didn't understand it at that time, but I'm very thankful for it in a lot of regards. But first and foremost, just removing excuses. You know, like I feel like, especially in our generation, especially in Western society, you can get just so lazy in life and you can just excuse your way out of anything or into anything. And I just watched that not be the legacy that was given to me. It wasn't the legacy that's handed down. So grew up in Nashville, grew up with great parents who loved each other really well, who have an awesome testimony just in, you know, sticking out in the hard times of physical stuff emotional stuff, baggage that comes with an injury like that. So I grew up in a great family. We, we were in church 
two, three, five times, seven times a week, you know, whenever the doors open, that kind of family. Uh, my dad ended up working in the church for a while. So I was really involved in all the kind of youth activities and all that stuff. When I was 17, I decided that I wanted to go to Texas. I had a friend that was going to school at uh, in Waxhachie at SAGU, and I decided I want to do that just because I knew people there and it, <laughs> I wanted to be in Texas. And so I did that for a year, interned at a church in Irving, was bored of school and interning and liked a girl in Nashville. So I went back to Nashville, lived there for three years, started working at the church that I grew up in full time. And then in 2011, one of my friends that I met in Texas, actually, I met her when I was visiting the school as a 15 year old, but I knew that I wanted to marry her, which is another kind of long story. And it had just been confirmed in interesting ways. And I was like, all right, I'm going to Texas. And so I t- her brother offered me a job to work at their church. So that's what got me to Texas and uh, worked there at the church for a while. And then a really interesting shift happened in my life in 2014. We were getting ready to have my son. My son, my firstborn, was born in January 2015. My parents had been living in Nashville up until that point. They actually moved downtown into a high rise. Like they were living in Nashville, enjoying that life, a uh, different season of life. And then when my wife got pregnant, they were like, <laughs> All right, I'm an only child. So they were like, I think that we feel like we're supposed to be <laughs> in Dallas, close to our uh, grandkids. So they moved here. And when they were moving here, I was just not super happy with where I was, just professionally and what I was doing. I, I got very, uh, I just felt like I was supposed to be doing something else. Like I really, there was something inside of me. I was very entrepreneurial as a kid. That part of me had died a little bit had no outlet. And so there was something that, and I didn't even know what it was at the time, but my dad, right before they moved here, he came and he said, Hey, I I was praying, you know, last week, month, whatever it was. And I really felt like I was supposed to like bring you into my world. So my dad had worked in a church for a little bit when he got off the road. And then he went to work a nonprofit. That was very interesting. It actually, it kind of, it was set up by a wealthy man in Nashville who basically put all his money into this nonprofit. And then he did everything he knew to do in a business context through the nonprofit and then funded missions. Like they gave like millions of dollars a year to missions every year. But the concept was they made money in insurance, they made money in real estate and then through investments and then proceeds went to fund missions work. He got sick and was about to pass away. He had cancer. He knew he had a terminal illness and he put my dad on the board. So my dad spent 12 years running that organization and he had a lot of context for a bigger business at that point. At point. And so to go back to the story, at 2014, he comes to me. He's like, Hey, I was praying. I really feel like God said that I need to bring you in, like, side my head, essentially, in business. And that I need to, even my personal finances, like, I need to lay everything out in front of you, tell you how I got to this place, and unleash you to go forward. Like, this is, he's like, I don't even know. And it was really lining up with exactly what I was feeling in that moment of, there was things inside of me. There was things I knew that I was good at that I never had the opportunity to try to steward where I'd never taken that opportunity. And so that was the beginning of me stepping back into business uh, as vocation. And I just kind of stepped off the deep end and just fell in love again, like just right away with being back in the business world, serving people in the business world, being involved in investing in finance and operational business. So I started running our foundation at that point. And is that reaching? That's reaching. Yeah. Reaching international. So again, we took what, what my dad learned at that uh, nonprofit in Tennessee and we reset. So there's a lot of things that we couldn't, there was a lot that was done before my dad took that 
nonprofit over. And he got this idea back in uh, 2005, I believe, of what would you, or 2007, what, what would you do if you had all this experience and knowledge and you could restart? And he started thinking about it, dreaming about it, and then he decided to do it. So that's reaching. And so we, yeah, we, we train and develop other business leaders who have a kingdom mindset who want to affect the kingdom of God in this world for the good of the kingdom of God and through their business. And so we train, develop other leaders, and then we also invest in businesses that have a similar mindset. And then we just have assets that we invest purely for a return to reinvest in the kingdom. So I've been doing that and really love it. That's what kind of got me into a business development role. And I, 30 years and three or four minutes. I don't know. <laughs> I love it. That's, that's so t- kind of overview. Tyler, I'm curious. I, I love your story, by the way. And just your journey of discovery and everything else is so inspirational. So you've got so many different things that you're, you're kind of involved in. So I'm curious. So how does the pastoral side and kind of the business dev side is there like a mutual skill set that you found works in both or do they kind of, are they different worlds? I'm kind of curious about kind of how you approach both of those and what people could learn from that. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of overlap in multiple ways. One at the end of the day, I think that every business is, or should be a people business. So when you're in, in life, when you have a mindset of kingdom first, but that causes you to think people first in, in a lot of tangible situations. Your thought process is how do I help people? How do I serve people? Whether you're doing that from a capacity of their spiritual life or helping them through that thought process as as developing them as believers and discipling them as believers, or they're an employee or they're a vendor, or you're offering them a service as, as a customer or client. So I think that and managerially, it has a lot of overlap. So when I look at how do how do we care for, how do we lead the people inside of our businesses, it's very similar to how I led a volunteer. I actually joked the first, when we bought our first operational business. So I'd been, I'd worked in vocational ministry for like eight years and was over volunteer teams. And when we bought our first operational business that I was in charge of, and like the next day when I stepped in like to take the reins and everybody showed up when they were supposed to show up, I was like, man, I'm used to having volunteers, which is like, sometimes a mixed bag, but when people are getting a paycheck, they actually show up when they're supposed to like, this is easy. Right. And so it's funny because it is a, there are different tensions in, in the different settings, but I think ultimately when your mindset is to steward what's in front of you, when your mindset is to better those around you, there's a ton of overlap in how you approach it because I think traditionally when people, a lot of people think about business, they think, what can I take or what can I get from this? But when your mindset is in both places, what do I have to bring? What am I stewarding? At the end of the day, it's not mine. Then there ends up being a ton of overlap, again, and specifically in, in how you're managing or interacting with people. I love that. So I've enjoyed it. I think that ministry actually prepared me. Really, I, I would have preferred to step into business sooner. There's something about the Lord that he doesn't let me write my own story a lot of times, which I'm very thankful for because I would have immensely screwed it up at this point multiple times. But I think that ministry really prepared me to do business well, to take care of people well, and to have more of a, like the generational mindset that I have comes from the Lord. Like it comes from observing his interaction with his people and how he thinks about things. And so we do business with more of a generational mindset than we do a, an annual or 
whatever it is, mindset. And like all that stuff is, is based in who God is. Like at the end of the day, for me, like how, how closely can I get our businesses, whatever they are to mirror the kingdom? Because that's, we're going to win. Like at the end of the day, even if it ends up in a short-term loss or whatever that looks like, we're going to win. And so that's why, I mean, I love the name of your guys show, the the eternal entrepreneur, because like, that's my mindset really is that it's eternal. Like, how do I, how do I do everything I can do as a steward of my life, my relationships, our resources, all that, so that eternity is impacted, but not just them today. Yeah. So I love that definition. I don't think I've ever heard that before. A generational mindset applied to business. Yeah. So what would that look like if, if someone said, okay, I want to take kind of the, that secret sauce that Tyler brings to all of his different endeavors. What is the generational mindset, especially at, in kind of in the context of stewardship? Break down what, if you can, what that would look like for, you know, someone else who's trying to kind of figure out how they go about culture and, and ministry and everything else about how in their own endeavors, what would that would look like? Yeah, it's kind of a loaded question because there's a lot of theoretics and nuance to it, right? Oh, yeah. So one of the ways I think about it right now is I realize that my ground floor of what I'm doing in business was supplied by 40 years of hard work from my dad, Mm. right? So I I manage in reaching, I manage multiple million dollars of investment capital. I don't do that because I was really successful. That's a starting Mm -hmm. point for me because of a generational mindset, right? And so I think a lot in context of my dad, me, and my son, and where I want my son to start and the things I want him to know to where he literally is starting life standing on my shoulders. He doesn't have to make the same mistakes, et cetera. So one of the ways I think about it is I work it backwards. What are the things I wish I had access to right now? Mm-hmm. Whether it was uh, relationships, whether it was business opportunities, investment opportunities, I just kind of think about that and I think about me and my dad. So here's one of the important principles, I think, being transparent and having communications about past mistakes. So me and my dad talk about how things would be different if he made this decision rather than that decision. Wow. If we had held on to this asset instead of liquidating it because our mindset was short term, whereas, you know, they made a 12% ROI on liquidating this asset, but now the, the asset is worth three times in a major metropolitan area. And, you know, it's just, it's a just different mindset of how do I maximize, how do I maximize what we have right now versus how do we accumulate and steward what we have right now to where we're handing over the most possible to the next generation. The other thing that it kind of playing on that a little bit is what we do with our resources. So there's, there's things that we're doing right now. We're putting money into specific investments that they're not going to pay off in the next five to 10 years. They're very, very slow turning vehicles. And the reason we're doing it is for 25, 50 years down the road. Wow. And so some of what we have to do is we have to temper, where's that line, right? Because there are things that, you know, we made an investment into an IPO last year that that tripled in a 18 month period, which was fantastic. Like it's really great. Right. But so now how do we take that and how do we also have a generational investment opportunity that will pay not just now, but then, because that's over, right. that's done. Right. I mean, there's potential for a little bit of increase, but it's done. So it's a mix of how do we how do we steward and how we multiply now? And how do we prepare for a great multiplication later? And that's in finances and relationships 
in a lot of different areas. But I think the first thing is being mindful. Like it's a, it's just a, it's a mindset, a mindset shift of how do I look at my life and my business as a generational asset that I can steward and then start asking questions on what would I do if, if this was still here 50, a hundred years from now, what would I hope it looked like? And what do I have? Wow. I'm just backing into it. How do I start affecting that? And then just asking the Holy spirit too, like what input like from God can I get in this, right? How should I be doing this? Because at the same time, you know, there's things that change for the worse, not the better, given 50, 100 years, right? I mean, I'm trying to think of, of a good example. Well, I guess, you know, people like to play on the vehicles of when Ford was creating a car, trying to double down on horse production back then was a bad play, right? So if you were in the horse business back then, you're like, man, I'm God's blessed me. I want to be generational. And you're like, how do I have hundred million horses, like that's great, but it's, but maybe that's not the right way to look at, because maybe that's not the mode of transportation. Yeah. Years. You're you the know? transportation industry, not the horse industry. Right. 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 Yeah. Exactly. So I think that's one of the real edges that we have as being believers is we have the creator of heaven and earth that will give us insight if we ask him for it and if we steward it well. And I think that those starts with stewarding what you have. Like, I don't know how many people God's willing to give something that's generational to steward right now, mm. right? Like if you can't steward your day to day, maybe you're not in a position to steward something generational. Oh, so th that. there's a lot I feel like there. And again, this for me goes back to I'm writing multiple generations of faithful men and women in our family. Like mm. the reason I think I get to step into something generational is not because I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread. It's because I'm fortunate enough to be standing on the shoulders of some men and women of God who said yes consistently, you know? And so I feel very grateful for that. And even, you know, hearing it come out of my mouth, it's a good thing for us to re remind ourselves, no matter where we're at, is that a lot of people paid prices, whether it's indirectly or directly for us to be where we're at. And so I feel super grateful about that, but it's, I feel like it's very important that we steward and steward in the right way. Yeah. So it's all uh, kind of, if it sounds like it's all about the kind of the long game. So as a, if you're thinking about things in terms of how does this fall in line with my relationship with God? And then what I'm doing in context of my family, it really isn't about what am I doing now? To, to your point earlier, you know, oftentimes you just look at the, at kind of the, the sheet at the end of the, at the end of the quarter and you go, well, it was a winner or it was a loss. And that's the entire focus is just 90 day chunks. Right. And it sounds like you're saying, well, as important as that is, if you're going to build something of value, going to build something that kind of can have that kind of long-term impact. It needs to be something that can transition just you as a person at the end of the day, something that I almost see like, like, like a baton kind of handoff sort right. of moment where, you know, you have your, your kids that, or whoever it is that you pass this on to, that it can be something that can kind of have that longevity because the mission itself is longer than just your quarter by quarter analysis of whether the business is healthy or not. Totally. And that's, you know, I've heard two examples. I've heard people talk about it in context, on context of Jesus's life, right? He's like, he invested in, he really invested in 12 people. He did a lot, right? But he was like, if I can get these 12 people to get it, that's my plan. And it worked, right? I mean, we sit here, we can talk about all those guys here thousands of years later, right? I mean, he knew what he was doing, obviously. And I also hear people talk about, let me first say, I say that to say, that 
oftentimes we have a bad definition of success or, or value or whatever you want to call it, because we tend to measure things first through a world's lens instead of God's lens. And so I'm not here to say that building a multi-generational, highly successful company of this sorts or that sorts is what God wants for your life. You know, I mean, I've also heard explained, think about the, the person that led Billy Graham to Christ, right? Let's say that they were, I don't know who the person is. I've heard the story. I can't remember, but let's say they were a school teacher and they didn't do anything fiscally that was very amazing, but they, they, they did what they were supposed to by sowing into individual people. And there's these people that they sowed into who had this huge impact and whatever the, the role is. But I just think knowing what God's called you to do and being obedient to that and then not getting caught up in the day-to-day and trying to zoom out. Because I will say that as I observe what God consistently does, he, he seldom is thinking just, he's always thinking generationally, right? And so if God's always thinking generationally and he's put us here, then how can I align myself with that generational thought is kind of the backbone of that. Love that. How can I align myself with that generational thought? That's yeah. great. I love that. Can I ask just a practical question, especially since a lot of what y'all do is either partnering with other businesses or sewing into other businesses, or basically it's not just you creating a business. What does that practically look like for you to bring that sort of mindset into a transaction or a business or an investment? One, how do you partner with God? What's a tan- like a practical way mm-hmm. that you actually apply that? And then two, how do you navigate bringing that viewpoint into the relationship with those people you're working with? So I feel everybody's at a different place in this journey, right? So it depends on where that person is. Uh, we've, we've done business with people who had, who are not believers, right? Okay. We typically, I wouldn't put them in that category of trying to partner with them. I mean, that more is, we're doing business with them and we're trying to win them personally. To, I say win them personally. We're, we're trying to show them who Jesus is through our interactions with them, right. right? But when we specifically are partnering with someone to help them live this out, we've we've uh, had relationships with people who are believers who had no context for what that looks like. They're like, I mean, I love God, but my business is my business. And like, I have no, so no context for that all the way to people who are, are really living it out uh, from day to day life. And so depending on where they fall in that spectrum, but leaning towards the first, you know, I think it starts with a conversation of context. For me, one of the coolest things in scripture is that the first place that we can see people where the spirit comes upon them to do something unique is when the, the temple is being built, right? And, and, and God places his spirit on people that are craftsmen to do things with their hands. Right. And I think it's a beautiful picture that it's like, man, the Holy Spirit is here, not only to give us power to be witness in our communication, or like we traditionally, I feel like, think about that, at least Westernly, but he's there to give us insight into that which we've been called to do, whether that's being a plumber or running a coffee shop, or being a dad, or whatever, like everything, there's spirit ingenuity for everything that we do. So how do we, so we like to coach people through this, not not be prescriptive, but yeah. how would you do that? So we, we like to have a conversation, I guess, be dynamic about it. It was like, what would it even look like? And we just have that conversation, what would it even look like? And so sometimes it takes a minute, and sometimes we'll try to kind of get the wheels turning. But you know, my dad, I, I remember one of the first kind of stories I have about this and me 
being my eyes being open to it was when my dad was at this organization in Tennessee and they had a like a big problem. Like they and I, I won't get into the nuances of it because it doesn't matter, but they had multiple attorneys, multiple industry professionals working on this situation. And it was bad for the organization. Like it was just a bad deal. And nobody knew what to do. Every idea that was proposed, there was just a major flaw in it, whichever like whatever it was, there was just a major flaw in it. And so they dismissed, they were having these meetings about it. They dismissed and my dad went home and he just, he's like, Lord, you got to give me something. He's like, this is your company. We run this for you. And I got, I got no idea what to do. And if we don't figure out a solution, like it's going to be a bad deal. So he was praying. And I think later, like not in that moment, but later on that day, he was thinking about it and he just got this idea. And it was really pretty simple idea. And he said, well, what if we did this, this, this? And he was thinking about it. And he's like, I feel like this would work, but I've got to be missing something. Like I, he doesn't have a law degrees. He wasn't industry specialist per se. And so they called back another meeting and he laid it out on the table. He's like, hey guys, you know, I feel like if we do this, if we do this, if we do this, it might work out. And everybody started looking for it and everybody was kind of perplexed. Like he was like, okay, where's, where's the Achilles heel of this plan? And there just wasn't one. And the Lord really just gave him this very simple outlay through an idea that sparked in his head. So it's not like he heard an audible voice. It's not like something showed up and wrote something on the wall. Like it was just like he was praying about it and God just delivered in a way that made sense to him to where he could articulate it. And what's cool about that scenario is he had somebody in his office come up. It's like, Hey, where did that come from? Like we've been Where'd you get that? And he's like, I just prayed about it. Like literally, I, I just prayed about it. And I feel like God opened my mind to the solution. And so you get to have these conversations about simple ways that it pans out. We've been a part of uh, several events that have like really cool stories of really different experiences that business owners have. I, I was driving uh, about a year ago down the road and I saw this guy doing irrigation work out in the lawn. And when I saw him, I thought I should stop. And I just had this urge to stop and talk to him. I didn't even know, like not to pray for him or anything. And I just kept going and it was just like strong. I'm like, all right. So I turned around as I was turned around, I was like, man, this guy just needs encouragement. And so I pulled up behind and I just literally get out of my car and I walk up to a guy that's on his knees, digging a hole in the ground. And I'm like, Hey man. And he's like digging. I'm like, excuse me. And he kind of looks up and I knew the guy. Like he went to our church at the time and I was like, oh. and then I was, it was kind of like relief and also pressure of like, oh no, it was, I know this guy, but there's also a pressure of the situation I felt like, which there wasn't. And I was like, man, honestly, I was just driving by and I felt like I was supposed to stop and encourage you. Like, and I didn't even know who it was. And I told him, I was like, you, you know, the back was to me, you're digging. And I was like, it was just really strong. So I turned around and he was like in a really tight spot. Business was really good, but it's, it's that point where it gets so good that it tests all of your systems. It tests your capacity. And so he was, he was stressed out because of stewarding growth and blessings. And we just had a really cool conversation. I was able to encourage this person where they were at. And I felt like, you know, God just sent me to, to be an encouragement. So I think for me, one of the things I really love to help, I guess, reiterate to people that we work with is don't allow yourself to not do the the easy things that are in front of you or the simple things that are in front of you because every way that God chooses to use us is amazing, right? And sometimes we think, well, I need to be, I need to own a restaurant and people need to get healed from eating my food or I need this, which that's amazing, right? If, if those things happen, 
that's awesome. Or if God gives you like a word of knowledge for somebody, like if things happen that are just unbelievable, that's awesome. Like we should celebrate that, but we should also celebrate the faithfulness of everything in between. And that sometimes the things that don't seem like they're a big deal end up big deal to that yeah. person. And it's hard to measure the eternal impact of just being obedient. And so I, I just feel like so much satisfaction comes from being obedient and viewing every sphere and opportunity as, or every sphere relationship encounter as an opportunity to just be obedient, no matter what that looks like is a big deal. I love that because so like completely outside of the Christian context, you think about what's the social proof, right? Of a business and you go today, it's like Google reviews, right. and Yelp reviews and all that kind of stuff. And you have that proof point those stories along the way that, oh, I can sort of like trust this business to take sure. my money to get some value. Yeah. You talk about this whole thing of kind of having a generational mindset. Well, testimony, we'll use the Christian word here. Testimony are these bundles of stories that we pick up along the way because we're in relationship with the Almighty, because we're in lockstep with the King mm -hmm. and those grow. And so you can say, okay, Tyler, how do you know that you're on focus with? where the Lord might be taking you or be, or taking kind of your life mission or, or any of the business things you're doing. Well, look at the proof points, yeah. right? And that's kind of a collection. And you take that and you pass that down. You know, it's, how do we know that this business is headed the right, right direction? How do we know that we're in the right mission, the right vein, whatever? Well, look at this. I got this, I got this, yeah. and I got this, and I got this. And that's how, that's how you can kind of build up, especially in times when you don't necessarily have a sense of direction or there is a storm or, yeah. The path is covered, even though the path is there, right? We're talking about there's different kinds of fog, spiritual, okay. business, whatever, economic. The reality is the path is still there, and it's paved because of the stories that we've collected along the way. And I just love that because there is really kind of something that we can kind of bring up in ourselves. And it's a good kind of way of knowing in times when we don't necessarily know the next direction or when we give something to someone else, we're talking about stewardship, we have these stories, we yeah. have these stories and it, it's something that, you know, is a really, really good thing. And it's a, I love the way you phrased it because I think it's a better way of thinking about stuff. Yeah. So a flip a question to you guys, because this is something that I talk about quite a bit and honestly, not a place that I'm great, but how do you guys think about stewarding those stories? Because, you know, I love the story of the Israelites where God tells them to go get the stones, stack them up. So when you pass, you can tell your kids, like, I love that story and I bring yeah. it up and I'm not great at it. Like I, it's, it's a place that I want to be better because if I think back of, of my life, my dad's life, like there's great stories there, but if they're not capture like what what is the process in the 21st century of stacking those stones yeah. because i think it's important i think a lot of us yeah. that are mindful of it talk about it but don't actually put it into practice like this, this is me like saying that like, i'm very guilty of this and every time i do every time i bring up the stories i just feel myself being encouraged like you're saying like if i'm going through something and i'm just putting a scenario where i have to bring up these stories i feel yeah. encouraged i feel motivated i feel excited about what even Given the current situation, I feel excited about what God's doing. Sure. So I, I have three, actually, actually tied to that story of the riverbed. I love that story yeah. so much. So I have basically, I have a weekly one, a quarterly one, and like an annual one, essentially. And I have, so that you can think of them as different size stones. Yeah. So my story, not to go too deep into it, but I grew up in a position of very adverse poverty. I um, won't go into it, but was living in an oil tank without water, had dragged like an extension cord out there for electricity, and, you know, spider bites. It was awful. My family lived in a barn. 
And throughout my my career or in, in selling businesses and everything else, every single time the Lord promotes me or moves me into a new season, I start with stone one mm. where I could have been homeless, but you put a roof over mm. my head. That's good. And I, I always go back to the oil tank and then yeah. I go to the next one, which was I was in a place where I didn't really want to live anymore. And I said, God, I need a team. And you transplanted me into another city and gave me an apartment and gave me a, a car. I look at the times when I needed. So I go through all these different things, all the way to consulting Fortune 500 companies and selling a company and everything else. And I go, what was stone number one? Yeah. And I think that's really, really, really important in any relationship, right? Which is what we have with God, right? We have a relationship and he's very present, but you have to be cognizant. The Bible even talks about, you know, I couldn't actually do anything with him because he didn't remember. Yeah. Right? You look at Joshua and that actual story. He says, the Bible says, listen, you know, Josh was like the only person that remembered. Right. And so he could actually say, oh, this river crossing thing, we've done this before. Yeah. He's the only one who had it in his mind. Right. It was crazy. crazy. So I have those kind of, anytime the Lord moves me seasonally or transitionally career-wise or success-wise, I go through and I look at all the rocks. Yeah. And I say, thank you for each rock along the way. The other is quarterly, like with with smaller successes mm-hmm. or smaller wins or small, smaller ways where God came through. Uh, the recent one is actually a house for my wife, and Joe knows a lot about that story. We prayed into that significantly, and the yeah. Lord kept on telling us to go into it, go into it. Like he told us over and over and over again, pursue this house. And we're like, we can't pursue this house. Can't pursue the house. Can't pursue this house. Pursue the house. All right, we're going to pursue the house. And there was a lot of genuine miracles along the way. That's a rock. Yeah. And that shouldn't have happened, but it did. Yeah. And then I have weekly ones and those are a lot harder, quite frankly. The weekly ones are a lot harder because oftentimes in the midst of challenge. Sure. Right. And so, all right, daily I'm bringing something before the Lord, either it's meetings or going into work or personalities, people, whatever. And it's okay. I have specific like things during the week that I need your partnership on. Right. Otherwise I'm going to a flesh place. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to a corporate mindset where, right. you know, we're going to break some backs in order to get some outcomes. And right. I, and then that's never, there's never good fruit from that. Right. Sure. And so giving those things over to the Lord and then looking for how he comes through. And so when you do all that all together, you get a body of evidence, yeah. so to speak. So that's my cadence. I'm not always perfect with it. Sure. I just did my annual one here about two weeks ago. Yeah. Um, so I love it though. I think it's a really good thing to do because it keeps things top of mind. I think that's so good. So I'm, because literally I've had this conversation, I don't know. I've had this conversation numerous, numerous times in the past couple of years. And I've, I've done a few things that I would say are non-permanent. Like I don't have a stone one, right? Yeah. I, have, I haven't got that linear, which I love that thought process, especially for big moves or, or even just like dark seasons or great seasons, right? A, a grounding of a great season or hope in a dark season, whatever it is. I love the concept of like having five, 10, whatever they are, just like monumental stones that you know were just life altering. So I'm putting in my calendar right now for my quiet time tomorrow is I'm going to get at least five stones because I like accountability. And if I say it here and Joe (laughs) sees me in a couple of weeks and he's like, Hey, you said on our show, you're going to do this. Did you do it? I'm like, yeah, I did it. We're just going to ask everyone in the comments uh, of whatever platform you're listening to, (laughs) ask us, you know, reach out to Tyler (laughs) when he shares his uh, information. 
Yeah. Or, or you could join me too. If you don't have your stones, go, go do it. Cause I think it there is really go. important. No, I think that's really good. In fact, I was thinking, I was like, well, I guess there's Pierce's next book. The, uh, <laughs> the, the, the 12 stones or what you will. Yeah. yeah. Chapter four of calling. Yeah. That's so good. That's so good. Well, I want to, man, there's so much good stuff there. I almost don't even know where, where to go from here. I am curious if you maybe could go back into a little bit more of what it looked like when your dad first got that word, as far as like, Hey, I need to open up everything to you. Yeah. Cause like you said, there was that, that journey of him probably entrusting you with a little before he gave you a whole business to run by yourself. Sure. One, what did that relationship, how did that kind of unfold itself? And then how are you now doing that with your son having walked this out with your dad, what are the practical things that you're doing with, with him or, or your other kids as well Sure. to, to keep that legacy going? Yeah. So it, it was interesting. So I think there, at least I grew up with a mindset that finances specifically were very private. I didn't know how much my dad made as a kid. And I think the, the, primary reason was to not talk about it like with other kids. It just, I mean, it's very Western that it's a private, like if I just say, Hey, how much money did you make last year? In most circles, that's not an appropriate question. It's not seen as an appropriate question. Um, W2 or distributions? Is that (laughs) right? (laughs) Right. Um, Pre-tax or post-tax. So I think it, it was a bit shocking to me, honestly, because he really did. He's like, Hey, this is where we're at. Like, this is how much money I have here. This is what I'm doing with my retirement. And so it literally was very much that on the personal side of just opening up like everything and saying, Hey, this is where I'm at. And then we started talking about the past. Like I alluded to before, cause I started asking questions. I'm like, cause I had context for life up to that point. Right. So my dad was interesting. He was very entrepreneurial as a kid. Right. So when he got started in music, he was in the band you know, probably making nothing literally. And then he started writing songs. When he started writing songs, he got a royalty check and he saw on his royalty check that there was like a split in deduction. He's like, Hey, what is this about? And he's like, well, that goes to a publishing company. He's like, who's the publishing company? He's like, I don't know who they are. And he's like, what do they do? And he's like, well, you know, they have this contract. And he's like, all right. And so he gets, you know, not on the internet back then, but he, he starts asking people, I, that's actually a great question. I almost said gets on the internet and I'm very curious how he did this because <laughs> it was free internet. Yeah. So I don't know if he called people or what he did, but he figured out how to start a publishing company. Right. So all of a sudden he's not splitting his money with anybody. And then the band grew and they went to lease a bus. The bus was super expensive. So he ended up financing a bus and buying it and leasing it to other country artists in Nashville when they weren't using it. So he was like very entrepreneurial of how do I turn the necessities around my life that I had things I need to happen into potential money-making opportunities. Right. So he did a lot of different stuff. And, but there were also things that I was aware of. I'm like, Hey, how come like this isn't there anymore? How come? So I just, it caused me, I'm very inquisitive person by nature. So I want to figure out how things work, why they work, you know? So we just started having these really dynamic conversations. And then I started asking, well, what do you think would have happened if you would have done this rather than doing this? And, and we talked about some of it. And some of my questions, we, we agreed, man, that would have been a great idea. And that would have put me financially ahead of where I'm at. And then some of the things we talked about was like, man, that would have been a really bad idea. And that would have, that would have been a loss instead of a win. And so it really kind of got my, my wheels turning about what I do and what mm-hmm. I want to do with my son. But one of the things it did for me is 
and I haven't figured this out yet, and I'm sure I'll make mistakes in it one way or the other, but I want to start from that place with my son of how do I pull him in close and how do I maximize whatever the gifts are that God's given him starting as young as I can? Uh, whatever his interests are, whatever his skill sets are, how do we really begin to max? I mean, my dad did a good job with me in that as I was a teenager. He allowed me to be homeschooled my junior and senior year. And I worked, I went to his office every day of the week and I worked on schoolwork for a couple hours. And then I worked in the business. I mean, I did data entry on the insurance side, which was mind numbing and <laughs> maybe want to put my head through a wall. But then I got to sit in on the board meetings as well. And, you know, and I got to fly on some private planes and go look at real estate development. Like, so I, I got every end of the spectrum and it gave me an appreciation for some things. And then it gave me a hunger for others. And it was a really cool learning experience. So my, he opened my eyes to a lot of things, but the transition, I would say there was no transition personally. There was like a literal immediate openness and like conversation mm. on personal side of things. And then on, on the business side of things, it started with the investing side. So our foundation kind of has three legs. We do training and equipping. We partner with operational businesses of people who have the same mindset of advancing the kingdom through business. And then we just invest capital to do the other two. So it actually really started hands-on in that third one. I was very intrigued by investing. And so I just begin to bring opportunities to the table. So he he gave me the opportunity to essentially be the front door to reaching for investing opportunities. And I just started to ask people questions. I started to meet with people and I just started to bring opportunities to the table. I think actually the first opportunity I brought to the table, we invested in the equity of a big technology company that was kind of a long play, but had a huge potential upside. And I brought it to him. We vetted it together. We went and we sat down with the CEO and we asked questions. And it was interesting because it was actually something that I understood the core business better than my dad, because it was in the technology space. And my mind just is more, I guess, in, I have more experience and I understand those things a little bit better, but yeah, I mean, we, we literally just kind of vetted the deal together. We, went back and forth and then we made the decision together. But the way we did that was him asking, Hey, okay, if the ball was in your court, what decision would you make and why? And I explained what that was. And then he explained where his mind was at and we went with his decision. And so <laughs> that's, that's how the first one panned out. And then fast forward, it, it kind of slowly moved towards, I do the finding, the lifting, the vetting, and then I present to him what I'm about to do. And he gives me basically a stamp of approval. It, interesting enough, uh, the IPO we did, I, I think it was two years ago now, we exited last year. We So I kind of done the homework on the opportunity and I was ready and he's like, okay, how, how much are you thinking about putting in? And I was like, 250 to 500 is, is kind of the number in my head. He was like, all right, well, I was 100 to 250, so we'll settle on 250, which <laughs> is funny for like who we are and as far as our persons and how we're wired. I'm way more aggressive, way more apt to take risk, and he's not. And but it was interesting that like literally his high number, my no, I could have been 200. You know, it just it happened to be the the same number, which was really cool because I said, you know what, I have peace by that. Now it's funny because I look back on my dad. That was, that was a, a three bagger. Like, you know, if we would have done 500, like, but at the same time, you know, that's with the time perspective, it could have gone either way. And, and so it, it's funny, but 
it's unique to walk it out now because basically my mindset, I'm very much like type A CEO visionary. That's where my skill set is. And my dad is very much like COO operational risk management. And so it's interesting that typically in a, in a entity structure, the COO really serves the CEO, right? And so it's funny that we found like, we both know that our strengths are what our strengths are. And I'm so much stronger in what I do because I, I have him and we do things that we would never do because I push it forward and I'm very growth oriented. I'm very, and we just, it works really well together. And so it's cool because it, it's taught me the importance from a young age of having that person by my side, whether it's my dad or not. But also my dad has allowed me to run in ways that nobody else would have let me run with the experience I didn't have at the time. And so it, it's cool. You know, uh, we, our first operational business we bought was a coffee shop in Plano where I met Joe and that was, what's up? I said, thank goodness you got that. Yeah. Thank Good goodness. Investment. It gave me a love for coffee. So that's 1418 coffee, which a friend now owns. We sold it to him. So go check him out in Plano. But you know, that was cool because it, it let me test the thesis of what it's like to have a kingdom mindset in business. You know, we had a, a lot of college age kids, working for us. And we had a storefront by which the city came in constantly. So that was a, a really cool, really guinea pig for us. And the only reason we did it is because my mom went in the coffee shop. And so we bought it. And then I got tasked with figuring out how to make it <laughs> profitable. And, and I had never, I swore that I would never be in food service because I never did as a kid, a uh, teenager. And I just saw like, I just, that's not anything I ever want to do. And then the first operational business that, that we bought together was a food service business. And I was reassured of why I was not called to that. <laughs> so it was great. We really enjoyed it. And, and the people that worked for us were amazing. Like it was, so it was super good experience, but it was eye opening in a lot of different ways, which is great, right? Like that experience is invaluable. And so, and that's one of the things that I really cling to too, is that every experience has the potential to be an invaluable experience, depending on your frame of reference and how you look at it, your perspective. And that's one of those things that just taught me a lot about some of the nuances of walking this out in daily life. And I'm a better leader for the mistakes I made, the things we did right, the things we got to test there. That's a long answer to a short question. <laughs> so you grew up in Nashville? I grew up that's, in Nashville, okay. 1980. <laughs> Man, that's so good. I know I would love to have you back again, especially with your dad. Maybe we could have a conversation with both you guys. Sure. Yeah. So for our last couple of minutes here, because we want to honor your time and everybody listening, we've, we've got the final five. So for our last five minutes, we've got five questions for you. So question number one, what are your top three must-read books outside of the Bible? can be business, family, spiritual, cookbook. No cookbooks on my cookbook? list. All right. uh, okay. So... Top man, see, I knew you were gonna do this. So I don't know if y'all noticed, but I was when Tony was in here, I was on my phone and I was literally pulling up my Audible trying to really? refresh my memory because I knew you were gonna do this. <laughs> Extreme ownership is up there. If you haven't read it, it's very interesting, written by Navy SEAL. And it basically it kind of coincides with what I said about I watched my dad push mow the yard. Like you can find an excuse or you can find a way to not have excuse in every circumstance. Uh, really good perspective in that book. I think it's called the billion dollar coach or the million dollar coach. It's about this guy who was a football coach, then went into the tech world at the tech boom. And he basically like consulted for Google and Facebook and like all these huge tech companies, but he did it as a love and passion. And it's, I think his name's Eric Schmidt. It's mind boggling 
how the CEOs of these, I mean, you know, household names, one, the fact that they would let him consult like for multiple companies that are competing in a really big cutthroat industry. Anyways, there's a lot of gold nuggets in there. And then I would say the, the, the business of honor. Uh, I can't remember who. Yeah. Danny uh, Silk and Bob Hassan. Bob. Yeah. That book, there's some interesting things which would take us on like a really deep rabbit trail, but they actually, they take Guinness beer and they contrast it to Enron in the beginning of that book. And the, it sounds very interesting, but it is, I mean, when I read the story, I was so fascinated by what is right versus sometimes what we as the church say is right or what culture says is right. Like it, it's just, it is, it's a phenomenal exercise in how to run a Christian business. I mean, it, you have to go read it. It's, it's really good. I'll I'll go with those three and maybe I'll come more prepared next time. (laughs) Well, those are a good three. We'll take them. Okay. All right. Question number two, you can send a note card back to yourself when you're first starting off on your entrepreneurial journey. What are the three pieces of advice you're putting on that card? Golly. The first would have to do around finances. I think my first full-time job, I was 18 years old. I made $28,500 a year and I spent $29,000 a year. (laughs) Um, And man, I moved out of the house. My parents had just built this beautiful lake house. And I moved out into a crappy apartment and I just would have done finance completely. I would have given myself, I would have house hacked. I, I would have done a <laughs> lot of things different finance. Even if I couldn't cheat and like invest in this company or do this, like if that was off limits, there are like just found like fundamental things that I would have done, which would have put me in a much different place today. So that's one. Two, I, I would like play on, I, I would just I would find a way to convince myself not to get wrapped up in what I thought was a big deal. I would try to give myself some eternal perspective, but like I'm doing what I love. I have a wonderful family. We're happy, healthy, successful. And so just, I feel like there was so much uh, in most people's life, mine specifically, there's just so much time and energy wasted on fear of the unknown or not happy with current circumstances. And so I would, I would reassure myself like, dude, you're going to be good. And then the last thing I would tell myself to not stop working out at 28. Cause I got fat. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I said I would never, uh, and I didn't get like crazy fat, but I said I would never be that person. I, I got a real dad bod. And so I would, I would not do that again because it's hard to it's work hard to back, get back off. Yeah. <laughs> once you clear certain <laughs> thresholds. Awesome. All right. Question number three. At this point in your life, how do you define success for yourself? Being obedient more times than I'm not. I know that I'm going to end life successful and I'm less worried about what that looks like to other people. And if every day the scale of obedience to disobedience is way tipped in obedience, then that's success. And I think that drives the way I treat people. So I'm more mindful right now of how happy is my wife in our marriage how much time do my kids feel like they get, do they feel like work is a bigger priority? Like those things, like I know, like we're going to be successful in business and finance and, and I'm happy about that. Like I love that part of my life, but not at the, at the sec. like, and I'm, this is on my mind because I'm not great at it all the time. And so success honoring God and having those closest to me know that they're loved and cherished and valued in my life. That's awesome. That's really good. 
All right. Question number four, when times have gotten tough, uh, what's kept you from quitting? <laughs> Quit. I just, there's not a lot of good that comes out of quitting. I mean, I'm very practical in my thought process. Like what, what good is quitting going to do? Um, <laughs> I think it goes back to the story I told about my dad. He he was paralyzed. His world was completely turned upside down and he could have quit. I mean, he could be living off disability right now. Yeah. He, I mean, he could have gave up. And so it's just not in our blood, you know, if you want to take it physical, natural with my family, if you want to take it to God, like we're overcomers. The word says we're overcomers. And so anything that I'm feeling that doesn't align with that is a temporary perspective of a lie or a short-term thought process. You know, like we are overcomers because Jesus already made us overcomers. So I can either choose to live out of that state and, and get my circumstances lined up with that or not. And that's just not an option. I mean, that's one for me. It just, it's just not an option. So yeah, you're in that mindset. Yeah. Yeah. I I just don't have that in my veins. Like I I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) All right. Number five, uh, what questions should we have asked that we didn't? Um, how did I score my wife? Like, how did you end up with someone who's so good looking and <laughs> kind and artistic? And the answer is just Jesus, you know, it's, it's not your fault. It's, it's not just your favorite. fault. It's not my fault, but it is, is my gain. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tyler, thank you so much for taking the time and spending it with us. Uh, for those out there who want to learn more about reaching, who want to get in contact, see more of what you're doing, what's the best way for him to figure out and uh, see what you're doing out there. Yeah, you can follow us. If you're interested in what we're doing at Reaching, go to reaching.com. That's like R-E-C-H-I-N-G, like you're reaching for something. Reaching.com. Uh, there's links to our social media and stuff there. Uh, if you're looking to follow me, it's Tyler L. McGee and our insurance company, FramptonIns.com. Those are the the ways that you can find us out on the web. Awesome. Well, we'll definitely have to have you back. I mean, we didn't even get to touch on the insurance company, I don't think. So Yeah. hopefully... We'll uh, get you again. Let's do it, man. I'm game. It's been fun. Thanks so much. Thanks, Tyler. Thank you so much for listening today. If you enjoyed this show, please leave us a five-star review and share this with a friend. It would help us out tremendously. Also, if you'd like to stay in touch and get a free copy of the first chapter of Pierce's new book, Calling, How to Partner with God in Any Business with Any Boss at Any Place in Life then click on the link in the show notes to sign up for our weekly email or visit piercebrantley.co slash podcast. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.